The Miriam Institute podcast with Benjamin Anthony. Israel's future in Israel's hands. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Benjamin Anthony, co-founder of the Miriam Institute. Before we begin, I'd like to ask you to please subscribe to the podcast and to leave a rating and review at wherever it is that you download your podcast from. Doing so really does help us reach an ever wider audience, and I thank you for your partnership in that regard. Now, this episode of the podcast features a reading of my opinion piece published in the Jerusalem Post on Sunday, February 18th, 2024. Originally entitled, Egypt and Gazans Must Reap What They Sowed, this piece was penned shortly after Israel's heroic rescue of two of our hostages took place, and as the prospect of an IDF operation inside Rafah continued to gather steam and momentum. The written op-ed is linked in the show notes, and if you enjoy the content, I'd like to ask you to please share it with your network. And now, it's on with the show. Following Israel's rescue mission of two hostages held in the city of Rafah, The IDF is poised to launch a ground incursion into the same city. Rafah is Hamas's last remaining stronghold. Hamas must be purged from that area for Israel to realise its war aims. Preventing a repeat of the horrors of October 7th will require Israel to maintain control of the Rafah crossing in perpetuity. If given the order to do so, the IDF will operate in an area where approximately 1.2 million Gazans are currently located. It's worth mentioning that they are there as a result of Israel's largely successful efforts to move Gazans out of harm's way as the IDF battles a brutal enemy above and below ground. The Gazans are hemmed in between Israel's military offensive in Khan Yunis and an Egypt whose president refuses to allow the Gazan population into the Sinai Peninsula, which is a huge land expanse that abets the Gaza Strip. Egypt bears massive responsibility for the unfolding displacement crisis. For years, it turned a blind eye to the smuggling of personnel, materiel, and terrorist know-how into the Gaza Strip through the Sinai. It is from Egyptian territory, via the Sinai, that terrorists returned time and again to Gaza after undergoing military training in Syria, Iraq and Iran. October 7th was when the seeping complicity of Egypt burst forth in the bloodiest rampage against Jews since the Holocaust. Egypt now invokes the potential for regional upheaval to demand that the IDF not operate in Rafah. In simple terms, having failed to uphold its obligations in territory over which it is sovereign, Egypt now has the temerity to seek to dictate the terms of activities in areas over which it has no sovereignty. If only Egypt had been as judicious in preventing what crossed from Sinai into Gaza, as it now is about what crosses from Gaza into Sinai. Predictably, Jordan, the UAE, France and Britain are echoing Egypt's demands. 
and one has to ask the question, where ends the hypocrisy? The international community typically reacts to displaced populations with all of the inventiveness of a middling pugilist. Their diplomatic one-two leads with a call for neighbouring and non-neighbouring countries to accept the displaced as refugees and then follows up by championing the countries that do so. By example, since the beginning of the Syrian civil war, neighbouring Turkey is estimated to have absorbed more than 3.5 million Syrians. Non-neighbouring Germany accepted 1.2 million Syrians. Both countries were implored to do so by the international community and applauded for doing so thereafter. Following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, responsibility to absorb displaced Ukrainians again fell upon bordering states such as Poland and non-bordering countries such as Britain, America and, yes, Israel. Again, the international community implored those countries to do so and applauded them thereafter, that old one-two that I spoke about. But in a weave away from international norms, those countries who typically urge population absorption now assign no absorption responsibility whatsoever to Egypt and insist that where other displaced populations might well seek to emigrate away from their troubles, no such notion or desire has so much as crossed the minds of the Gazans. Not only has Egypt refused to open its border, it has developed and deployed a plan wherein some 40 tanks have been sent to the border area, presumably in readiness to gun down any of the Gazans that it and the world claim to care for so deeply in the event that they cross into Egyptian territory. Shifting to a completely unorthodox stance, the international community is now violating its own standards, and it's doing so because this war features an unfamiliar regional contender for which the international community is ill-prepared, an Israel that is actually seeking a conclusive victory. Desperate to prevent that outcome, the world now flails to tie up Israel, using techniques of astounding illogic. They assert that while Syrians may want to flee their brutal reality, and while Ukrainians might want to do the same, Palestinians absolutely do not. Uniquely, according to the international community, Palestinians want to stay exactly where they are, immiserated by the Hamas regime that they voted into power, displaced by Israel's legitimate response to the attack launched against the Jewish state. Some 250,000 Israelis have been driven from their homes by Iranian-backed Hezbollah and by Iranian-backed Hamas in Gaza. In the latter case, Egypt was the bridge that connected murderous intent with murderous deeds. Israel must advance. If asked to choose between a displacement crisis in Gaza 
or perpetuating the worsening displacement crisis unfolding within its own borders, Israel must first safely repatriate Israelis who are living as evacuees within their own country, beginning with those from Israel's south. For that to be achieved, Hamas can and must be cleared from Rafah. While Egypt is centrally responsible for the displacement of the Gazans, and eminently equipped and resourced to resolve this displacement challenge, primary responsibility rests with the Gazan people themselves. There are many distinctions between the crises in Syria and Ukraine and the events taking place in Gaza. The most telling of those is that while Syrians did not elect Bashar al-Assad, and while Ukrainians did not elect Vladimir Putin, the two individuals who launched the wars in which those respective populations are now entangled, Gazan voters did willfully cast their ballots in support of the regime that launched the war in which they are now entangled, and that regime is Hamas. Gazans lent an electoral mandate to the known genocidal intentions that are at the heart of the Hamas Charter. That genocide was attempted on October 7th. And when asked, representatives of Hamas have repeatedly declared that they will seek to bring about successive October 7th if given the opportunity. And lest anybody should believe that such sentiments among the Gazan people belong to yesteryear, consider that when dead IDF soldiers and elderly abductees were dragged into Gaza, mass civilian celebration erupted on those streets. Jew hatred, violence and murderous intent quite simply still course through the veins of far too many Gazans. And now Israel is responding to the manifestation of that hatred. For too long, the cooperation between Egypt and Hamas has remained hidden, whispered about, but rarely spoken aloud. It's time for their partnership to be outed. Whether Gazans and Egyptians actually want each other or not, the international community should consummate a union between them. Egypt should be pressed to allow Gazans into the Sinai against its will, with at least the same vigour that Israel was compelled to funnel aid into the Gaza Strip against the Israeli will. And the outcome should be the same that the pressure should result in the manifestation of the will of the international community. Israel must move forward, undeterred by any blaster in pursuit of its highest calling, the defence of its own people and the return of its hostages. Israelis were murdered and they were abducted during the holiest, most festive period of the Jewish calendar, If there's one lesson we must learn from that fact, 
It's that if Israel does not protect that which is sacred to it, nobody else will do so. Perhaps, just perhaps, an IDF armed with the determination exhibited to this point can return the children of Israel to their homes in time for this year's Passover. They've been in the wilderness of displacement, torment and kidnap for far too long. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, a product of the Miriam Institute. Don't forget to visit our website at www.miriaminstitute.org to learn more about our work and to invest in our mission. And please do take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and to leave a rating and review at wherever it is you download your podcast from. Until next time, it's over and out.